everybody, Harry Carey here. Welcome to this program. It's a fine program we have for you on deck today. These two scallywags are at it again, and today they're talking about the number one most beautiful thing on God's green, green earth, baseball. In the 90s, no less. The only thing more beautiful would probably be a sweet caress of a woman as she hands you a cold brew at a children's birthday party in the park. Sit back, crack open some suds, slather some baby back ribs, and remember to enjoy because the Radcast begins. In five, four, three, two. Extreme close up! Check, 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 check. Chip, 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 So what? So this is so this is a live stream feed of the Las Vegas Strip. So just some voyeur in their hotel room just has a camera set up and they're periodically doing zoom ins and zoom outs and panning across. That's what this new thing when because on youtube you can watch live stream feeds of things that's essentially sure. what it is it's just voyeurism which i get <laughs> right <laughs> it's voyeurism for the new generation exactly they've the peeping toms of the world have graduated to this exactly uh, so but it's, they, i mean it's a bit it's a bit different it's on a larger scale mm-hmm. and like i get live streaming like shows right. or something but it's it's strange the things that people do live stream because like yesterday what we, we found like a live stream of of like time, a tr- like of well, the- well, it, yeah. So something that I used to just sit and do was just do a live stream of. You just, wouldn't do a live stream. No, no, I wouldldn't go out <laughs> to a train station and do a live stream. Live I stream would. of you watching TV. Yeah, but the f- camera's not on the TV; it's on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most it's just you sitting there, yeah, scratching your crotch periodically. Yeah, no, I mean the whole time. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing periodic about it. Uh, if I don't scratch it, sometimes I forget it's there. So I yeah. need to always remember that it's exactly. there. Exactly. Sen- it's a sensory memory thing. Exactly. Uh, speaking of sensory memory, it has nothing to do with it. Um, the Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz wanted a heart, but apparently the Scarecrow already had a heart. Because he wants a brain, where does the scarecrow keep his heart? How is he able to talk if he doesn't have a brain? Exactly. <laughs> That's it, well, exactly. ideally what it should be is like, oh well, what do you want, scarecrow? <laughs> and then like he has like an interpreter who's a human, <laughs> or just or just, <laughs> and he's <laughs> coughing <laughs> up hay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just he's coughing up. Oh, hay. a brain! Yeah, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, whatever happened to Fran Dresser? I maybe maybe the Flashy Queen from Flushing is is the one behind the camera on we, these live streams. We can ask these questions the entire night, but sometime at some point we need to get into the episode. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, yeah. so because we all these questions that we can answer at some point, we we need to focus on yes. tonight. So welcome to the Radcast, everybody. I'm Steven. and I'm Matt, and tonight we are going to be focusing on something that is. Pretty a pretty big thing to take on, especially since it's encompassing an, an entire decade. Yeah, and that thing is going to be 
baseball of the 1990s. Yeah, and ideally what we're trying to do is originally tonight we were just going to do like our favorite athletes of the 90s, mm-hmm. but as we were going through listing all the iconic and flashy and mm-hmm. char- great all these great characters right. in the 90s, like I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. So then I texted Steven. I was like, why don't we just do four major sports, mm-hmm. do an episode on each in the 90s, and so today is baseball. Exactly, and we're not huge baseball fans anymore i think i kind of trailed off from paying attention to baseball probably like 2013 yeah so 2014 um but the 1990s the 90s but like huge huge baseball fans yeah i mean as a lot of people our age and into their their mid 30s and even into their early 40s were probably if they were baseball fans, they probably were big in the 90s or started becoming fans in the 90s because there was such a big culture around 90s, but not just, you know, yeah, 90s sports in general, yeah. and 90s in general, but 90s baseball. Yeah. And we'll get into that as we get into the episode. But first, there's a really cool thing. So we, we kicked this episode off us asking these questions and wondering <laughs> life's greatest inquiries life, where is fran drescher <laughs> yeah, where exactly. does the scarecrow keep his heart yes yeah. all brain the, heart yes heart but how does he have a brain if he can i don't know <laughs> anyway <laughs> so he talk he doesn't have a brain <laughs> say brainless uh so there's in all these mysteries out there what's kind of been a mystery to me and it's not so much a mystery to me but just I don't know if definitively we can call ourselves like Elvis Presley fans. Um, I don't really have any problems with Elvis Presley anymore. There's a charisma and a mystique. Like yeah. the fa- those, those individuals, especially musicians, especially like celebrities who are deified as much right. as Elvis Presley oh my was. Gosh, there's, yeah. there's like, there's just an interest. There's just a, a natural interest you have right in that yeah and i'm i'm fine with the guy i'm fine with his music what we've always been fascinated by um has been like matt said the deification of the guy how there's just this mystique around him more than like any other person of the 20th century and even now there's just so many massive elvis fans and people who live and die for the quote-unquote king of rock and roll um so what we're getting at with this is i don't know how we got this considering we're not diehard elvis fans we're not even really i guess fans per se but somehow we obtained something that not even graceland has yeah and i don't this, i don't know how it came in our possession but yeah. these things seem to find us yeah and i don't really have an issue with it no me neither i mean somebody entrusts us with this with this valuable information so what we're talking about and what we're going to play for all of you here in just a moment is we have obtained the the absolute final recording of elvis presley so this is, uh, as for those of you who don't know, he died in 1977, and famously he died on the toilet. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you think that's some sort of euphemism for something or some sort of metaphor, I mean, he physically did die on the toilet. Or if you King's just think, last breath was on his throne. Exactly. Or if you just think it's funny, like two nine-year-old kids would joke about all the time <laughs> whenever our mom would listen to Elvis music. Um but somehow we have obtained the final recordings of Elvis. This is somehow somebody got a recording device. You know, Elvis himself probably got the recording device because apparently he was super paranoid when it came to being wiretapped yeah. and stuff like this. So this was obtained from Elvis's personal recording device outside of his bathroom. This is the last recordings of Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. 
stinks. Daggum, EP, you gotta watch what you've been eating, boy. Let me wipe my bottom. See what this duty looks like. Ooh, that's not pretty, mama. It's yellow. Gotta lay off the peanut butter and nanner sandwiches. Oh, man, what we got under here? Oh, what's... Oh, my goodness. What, what, what's dripping on me? Oh, man, I got a daggum leak. I got a leak, springing a leak on the roof and springing a leak in my pants. Oh, well, look, look at here. It's a dang old squirrel. Oh, hey, squirrel, how you do... What? Wait. What are you doing? Oh, dang, that squirrel's got a gun. No, don't. That was actually gifted to us by um, a gentleman who was in the shadows in a parking garage in a trench coat. Exactly. Not when Elvis passed away, but like last week. We yeah. were like, this is a little, in, you know, this is a little antiquated the way we're sharing yeah. information. Why don't you just email it to us? Yeah. But I just want to visit Santa Claus at the mall. The guy's like, the, it's July. And I was like, okay, well, what are you doing here? And he's like, I want to give you this. Thank you. This, the guy's a sucker for the classics. Speaking of being a sucker for the classics, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to be diving in to baseball in the 1990s. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Radcast. Let the game started at one. We now return. It does start at one, and you're a jackass. To the Radcast. No, I'm a pitcher. I don't know how um, we keep forgetting to plug the socials. Uh, <laughs> so, before, what kind of operation is this? Well, it's not. Anyway, uh, before we get into baseball in the '90s, we're gonna plug our socials really quick. So, on Instagram, you can find us at. The Radcast, mm-hmm. so go give us a follow there. Yeah, see what we're up to. We try and update that. I'm trying, I'm trying to do a post every day. Yeah, so fair, yeah. fairly regularly. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, it's just the Radcast, and yeah. then Twitter is T Radcast. So yeah. at T Radcast, you can find us on Twitter. You will see our signature sunglasses with that purple lettering. Exactly. Designed by Jeff Wright Designs. Exactly. So and also Jeff Wright Designs. Go give him a follow on all the social media yep. and go check out his work. Maybe commission him to do something for you. Mm-hmm. It's very, very good. He's a very talented young lad. He is a very talented long, young lad. He's the long lads. <laughs> the and, long lads. So. And you, you know what decade had some very talented young lads in it? Is it the 1990s? The 1990s. I think, I think here's, and it's not just us, like, the, f- the fact that we're specifically doing baseball in the 90s, mm-hmm. part of it has to do with, yeah, that's the decade we grew up mm-hmm. watching. We grew up, that's when we fell in love with the sport mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the superstars that came from it. But I feel like the 90s is one of maybe a few decades in baseball you can pick out and, mm-hmm. and, and tell someone that these were 
this is a pivotal time in the right. game. Right. Because if you're if you're a, a a baseball historian or a baseball fan and you you love the history of the game, you think about the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, and they seem to bleed together. And even the 70s yeah. was like, you know, the if you if you really think about the 70s, unless you're really like. Uh, Ken Burns yeah. type, you know, going to do a documentary on baseball and you divvy it up by the decades. Like the 70s had a few key things here. Yeah. Um, but unless you were a fan of the Yankees or the Pirates or the Dodgers, it was kind of unassuming. My, I mean, or the athletics. Or the athletics. The Reds, I mean, yeah. you know, honestly, you know, the big, yeah, big red machine or the red side, whatever. Like it had its moments. Every decade has its moments. But if you really think about, like you said, the 90s, you can see in your head it's it's tangible what baseball in the 90s looked like yeah it, it was it was the best at adjusting itself to the decade it was in the mm-hmm. game itself did the aesthetic did mm-hmm. the superstars transcended pop culture mm-hmm. like you know you didn't have Thurman Munson in a local Ohio car commercial like yeah. you had Ken Griffey Jr in Coca-Cola commercials you right. know you had Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, you know, advertising, you know, whatever, 1-800-COLLECT, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All throughout the decade, there yeah. was this explosion of offense. I mean, starting in 1990 with Cecil Fielder hitting 50 home runs, that was the first time since 1977 anybody had a 50 home that's run so, season. That's so crazy, and that's why that sort of the, – the sort of the – the identity of the game mm-hmm. was more focused on like average and it was more focused on fielding and mm-hmm. speed and like the other components of the game. But with the nineties, it became so exciting. Yeah. Granted it, it was the boom of steroids, but it was home runs were flying out of ballparks. Exactly. Like they're the, the decade of the slugger. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it was. You had guys hitting home runs before, right. but it became commonplace mm-hmm. to see people hitting 50, 55 home runs a year. Yeah. You know, and as we're going to talk about, there's a lot of those. I I coined the term time capsule players, right? Who are players who are very indicative of the decade that they played in, right? Um, they they caused the most. Uh, exposure to themselves they were the most productive in those decades Mm -hmm. when you think of that decade you think of that player right but beyond that decade you don't it's like a time capsule right so so that like it's like penny hardaway in the nba Mm -hmm. he's very 90s but um even those time capsule players like the one hit wonders Mm -hmm. they were hitting 50 homers yeah And, and that just sort of was the identity the home run and the home run's already the most exciting play in baseball oh yeah so the decade that is flourishing with them obviously it's the most exciting decade in baseball yeah this decade was the best at acclimating itself to the era that it was in Mm -hmm. like just given excuse me all the resources that they had like these the aesthetic of the 90s it took that and it adapted itself to that the presentation of of baseball in the 90s like fox in the zone yeah fox saturday baseball videos like fast and furious Mm -hmm. wacky presentation with the like that 90s flashy aesthetic right It, it made it it made it, they're very like Sports Illustrated for mm-hmm. kids videos. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like Sports Illustrated for kids took sport the the serious analysis of Sports Illustrated and stories and stuff and made it like silly and goofy. And so 
the presentation of, was like that of baseball. Mm-hmm. And it was almost, it was like a changing of the guard in some yeah. respects because you saw baseball was presented and played the same way for yeah. so long that, you know, it became, and I used this word earlier, but in like in a jokey fashion, but it became antiquated. Yeah. Like a lot of people kind of like, that's why there was such a, an explosion in the eighties with the NBA. Yeah. And then, you know, into the nineties with the NHL is because it was, they were sports that had been around, but they were doing different things. They were doing something different with the personalities and with yeah. the pace of the game and oh, with yeah. the way it was presented. So baseball had to change along with oh, that. Yeah. And, and with the presentation of it, you, you had in culture this boom of VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Like now that they were cheaper to distribute, you could make them. You didn't have to just make them for theatrical released movies. Like mm-hmm. you had these straight to video stuff and it's the same with like sports, like this promotional, you know, sluggers of 96 right. and like the fireball pitchers of 97 and so, you know, like these inside looks mm-hmm. that beforehand, all you had was like baseball cards and watching the games. And that was as far as your connection with the players went. But with these like silly, 45 minute to an hour long videos you got to go inside the locker rooms you got to see the personalities of these players you you know you got to see behind the scenes footage they made the game look fun yeah they made it look like they were having a blast and teamed with like the the flashy imagery and and like the the music in the background and mm-hmm. like goofy music right. and stuff like that and they had had that with like this week in baseball before but i don't know this just felt different it it it, it was geared more towards generation x yeah um you know taking something old like that and gearing it towards you know, generation x yeah. um which plus, it, it worked yeah and with video games in the 90s yeah. you had oh, this yeah. boom of baseball games mm-hmm. and that's where the celebrity comes in of these players is that you had frank thomas mvp baseball 95 right. and ken griffey jr had like four baseball games yeah. like i think barry bond roger clemens had a baseball game mm-hmm. like that it's it's just taking these these players and like transcending them past just the game on the diamond right and plus like you had characters like larger than life characters you know with with this era of home runs naturally the people hitting these home runs are these superheroes these Mm -hmm. monsters i mean baseball in the 90s is what the wwf was to wrestling in the 80s right in terms of why it was so popular you had these superheroes these these comic book heroes stepping into the batter's box and hitting these mammoth home runs of course it's exciting and much like in the 80s you don't suspect anything you're like oh these guys are just superheroes mm-hmm. but you know come to find out that yeah we mentioned before you get to see the personalities of these guys and you get to really connect with them mm-hmm. then you find out later most if not all of them aren't steroids ter- well they're steroids and they're terrible people yeah well yeah yeah and also we keep harping on the home run because a when you're a, a kid growing up watching baseball i mean even now the home run is the most exciting play in baseball oh yeah i mean any anybody can say that even if you think baseball is boring people i'm like i'm they're like i'm just going to a game to see if i can see a home run because it's fun also the home run saved baseball 
1994, there was the the player strike because you know owners and the league and stuff like that they couldn't come to an agreement on like pay. So mm-hmm. like it was like labor disputes because the owners wanted to build these ungodly looking stadiums and they wanted to just keep lining their pockets yeah. and they didn't want to give that back to the players. So the, after like 120 games or something like that. Players went on strike and the rest of the season was canceled and the World Series was canceled. Yeah. It had been the first time since like the turn of the 20th century yeah. that the World Series had been canceled. Right. Well, and leading up to that point, the popularity in baseball had been waning anyway. Exactly. And 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 I don't think it I don't think Major League Baseball would have gone under because a big corporation like that, well, up to that point, had been around for a hundred plus years. Mm-hmm. It's not going anywhere, but still its popularity was decreasing. Right, because like, you had football and you had basketball at that point that were just like generating huge views and had these incredible powerhouses. Mm-hmm. Right, when you're getting multiple guys each season hitting numbers in the 40s and in the 50s, and as we would see later in the 90s into the 60s and even 70s, you know, <laughs> of course you're going to put asses in the seats because that's what you're missing after the 94 strike because that caused a lot of problems for a lot of people yeah um so the home run saved baseball in a way yeah so that's why that's why that's what made the decade the most exciting exactly on top of the strike there was also some other great i guess storylines yeah from the 90s oh yeah so at the beginning of the 90s one of the most iconic plays in baseball um was executed by joe carter of the Toronto Blue Jays, so it's the 1993 World Series, and they're facing the field. 92. Phil- or, or no, no, 93. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 92 they yeah. faced the Braves, but yes. then they were yeah. facing the Phillies. Yeah, because so, yeah, he hit it off of Mitch Williams. So they're, yeah. they're the defending World Series champions. They won the year before they beat the Braves. Um, and Joe Carter steps up. It's a game. It's, he He's... He's executing the exact scenario any kid who plays baseball growing up is doing. It's Game Seven, um, the World Series. World Series. Um, I don't know if bottom it was two, the, uh, bottom yeah, of the bottom ninth. of the ninth. Um, yeah. Let you know. Usually the scenario includes two outs, runners on, or whatever, whatever. But Joe Carter steps up and hits one of the most iconic home runs. Yeah. Not just touch in, them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run. Yeah. Uh, so it's not only the most like one of the most iconic home runs in World Series or playoff history. It's one of the most iconic moments in baseball history. So that was right kind of at the beginning of the decade. In the same year, Jim, Jim Abbott yeah. threw a no-hitter. September 4th, 1993 against the Cleveland Indians, which you're thinking it's a no-hitter. Yeah, there was a few yeah. no-hitters that yeah, year. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, a no-hitter. It's impressive. Let me tell you something. Jim Abbott only had one hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if mun- for, munch on that, crunchies. Exactly. So pause this right now, and if you have never heard of Jim Abbott, Google image search Jim Abbott or look up on YouTube they probably have highlights. Hell, they might even have the whole game yeah. of Jim Abbott's no-hitter against the Cleveland Indians. And we're talking about an Indians team that had Jim Tomei, Jim Tomey, Manny, Ramirez, Manny Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, yeah. Carlos Baerga, Albert Bell. Albert Bell. Like powerhouse. A, a powerful Indians team. And Jim Abbott, with one hand, threw a no-hitter. Well, if you watch, too, the way he pitches, he'll throw, and then he'll quickly flip his glove to his throwing hand yeah so like just the reaction time it's just it's incredible the fact that someone with one hand like was able to accomplish just getting drafted mm -hmm. into major league baseball is amazing but the fact that he threw a no hitter which if you're not familiar with that the no hitter is you don't let up any hits like as a pitcher 
Um, the difference between that and a perfect game is that in a perfect game, you don't let any hips any hits and you don't walk anybody. You don't let anybody on the bases. Yeah, you don't let anybody on base. Yeah, it was at Hannibal Burris. Like, because so many people hold, hold no hitters in high regards because it is impressive. But yeah, it's he's Hannibal. Like the most, one of the most exciting plays in baseball is when nothing happens. Yeah, Hannibal Burris has <laughs> yeah. a joke where he's talking about how boring baseball is. And he's like, one of the most, yeah, like Matt just said, one of the most exciting plays, one of the most highly touted. Um, highly regarded moments in baseball is when nothing happens. Yeah. Um, but you know that goes back to the to the dinger. You know you get mm-hmm. the influx of home runs. Yeah. Anyway, we talked about. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say. Um, I mean, the strike in '94, but also in 1994. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan played a season with the Birmingham Barons, um, which is a an affiliate of the the, the White, Sox, White Sox Double A team. Yeah. And he brought massive exposure to them, but also a lot of people were saying he wasn't half bad. Like I mean, he was yeah. he was awful when he oh, started, yeah. but he he there uh, with an announcer for the Barons said like he would see Mike in the hit in like yeah. practicing five days a week. So people obviously thought it was a publicity stunt, mm-hmm. or he thought like Michael Jordan at that point was already God to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like he was already you know, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And so people just saw it as some sort of game that he was playing. Just, you know, just maybe he didn't think that highly of the sport. Maybe he thought, well, you know, I'm such a great athlete. I could probably do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up, I played baseball in high school and stuff like that. Not realizing that he really loves the sport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He really wanted to put in work. There's an amazing ESPN 30 for 30 documentary called Jordan Rides the Bus that sort of chronicles his journey in baseball right. and how he eventually got better. And then he eventually just went back to basketball. But yeah, in 94, Michael Jordan was playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Do you know I, what year was this? Jose Canseco, who, <laughs> who's one of our favorite people. Yeah. And not, not cause he's a good guy. It's yeah. he's, he's an asshole, but he's, it's, I feel terrible saying this because I don't wish really, I don't really wish bad things on anybody and I don't wish bad things on him, but whenever silly things happen to him, it's, he brings it on himself. <laughs> and when I mean silly, I mean like posting on Twitter that you can pay $10,000 to search for Bigfoot alongside Jose Canseco. <laughs> Stuff like that <laughs> is like, it's just so goofy because yeah. he's such a tool and yeah. like, it's just, it's funny to me when tools get their comeuppance in like silly situations. So Jose Canseco in that regard is one of our favorite people because he, I love him being, he's absurd. He, he's the butt of our jokes. Yeah. But he also used to play major league baseball. Yeah. He's exactly. actually pretty good at it yeah, too. For the first 40, 40, 40 player of all time, which means yeah. he had 40 stolen bases and 40 home runs in a, in a yeah. season. Well, and, and by the early nineties, he wasn't much of a fielder, but at one point in a game, he was in the outfield, and a ball was hit out to him, and I guess he misjudged it because it hit off the top of his head and it went over the wall. It's like the greatest baseball blooper of all time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just, again, pause this and YouTube search Jose Canseco blooper. It'll be the first thing that pops yeah. up. He's literally – he's tracking the ball, and he's trying to play it, and it completely misses his glove, hits the top of his head, and yeah. goes over – the wall and people teams would still start him in the outfield <laughs> after that yeah exactly this lumbering this lumbering buffoon in the like how can you even move out there but and you might be asking yourself 
of all the things to talk about of baseball in the 90s, why is that a key storyline? It's not really, but it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, blooper in baseball history. Yeah. So I figure we'd be remiss if we didn't at least bring it up. Exactly. From and one of it, from its persona non grata. Someone yeah. who's never going to be let back into the good graces of Major League Baseball. So it's just kind of a twofer. It's a funny thing that happened to its worst enemy. Yeah. Um, but also um, something that was a little more of a landscape changer in 1994, but not instituted instituted until 1995 because, again, the playoffs were canceled in 1994, was uh, the introduction of the wild card. So originally uh, the American League and the National League were just two divisions, and it was just the the winner of each division would face each other in the in playoffs. The championship series. Yeah, exactly. So what happened was they expanded each league's expanded to three divisions. Mm-hmm. So now instead of just the division champions facing each other in the playoffs, there were now wild card teams mm-hmm. as well. So let's say you know if uh, if you didn't take the East, the Central, or the West, the best team. After you know, kind of the team with the best record in either one of those divisions could be a wild card team. Yeah, still or, have another shot at the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, or it kind of allows for that one team that's having a great second half of the season and they end up getting a hundred wins. And mm-hmm. normally, you know, they might miss the playoffs if they didn't win their division. It kind of gives them a chance to still have to still have some hope to make the playoffs. So, and not only was the wild card introduced, but Interleague play was introduced in 97? 97, yeah. yeah. So the first interleague, regular season interleague game was between the Texas Rangers and the San Francisco Giants. And that was just cool because the only time you ever saw interleague play was it was like a specialty game yeah. or the World Series. Um, so that was just cool because now you can go watch, uh, I don't know, the Cardinals face the Yankees or yeah. something like that and it not be a World Series game. And some of the more serious, like we were talking about bloopers, some of the mm-hmm. more like impressive feats was Cal Ripken Jr.'s consecutive game streak. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and he that he ended in 1995, mm-hmm. and he, or he at least it, bro- he, it, he broke Lou Gehrig's record. Right, it, he didn't end it till 1998. Um, right, so that was pretty nuts. Is in 1995 he broke Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record. He ended up playing uh, 2,131 games consecutively from the time his career started till 1995 and then he finally his consecutive game streak ended in 1998 uh, when he just decided just to sit himself right yeah so he could he could have kept going so he is baseball's iron man not only is he a career like 275 hitter first ballot hall of famer over 3,000 hits he also is an Iron Man and the fact that he played that many consecutive games. It's unheard of, and that record will never be broken. Yeah, and the next year, his teammate, Brady Anderson, perennial nobody, as mm-hmm. I put him in my notes, mm-hmm. someone who each year would be a role player or he would hit maybe 15 or 20 home runs a year, mm-hmm. exploded for 50 home runs yeah. in 1996. Was And at the time, it was impressive. Now it's a complete anomaly Yeah, because after that, he didn't even come close. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big storyline just because this is the dinger decade. Yeah, And even, kind of like we said before, even the no names got in on the fun. Exactly. And, so, I mean, there were some other names. You know, we talked about uh, these purely 90s players. Some other people 
people who would produce, and then they had an explosive year, and then kind of peered off. Greg Vaughn, Greg Vaughn, San Diego hit 50 Padres homers in '98. Yeah, he exactly. kind of got lost in the shuffle with like Sosa and McGuire and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, he he's a very time capsule <laughs> player, kind of like we mentioned before, a guy like Andre Scalaraga. Yeah, uh, who exploded from '96 to '98 for 40 plus homers, like each, and and you can tell like. Our look at if someone was good or not is based has for me it's always been based on home runs right and then as I grew up I'm like okay they didn't have a lot of home runs but that doesn't mean they weren't good right you know but if you look at batting average yeah, too yeah right and so you did have these another time capsule guys like Omar Vizquel or like Carlos Baerga or like Jose Rijo yeah or Roberto Alomar yeah even Albert Bell one of the biggest sluggers of the decade mm-hmm. he hit like three hundred and. 51 career home runs mm-hmm. and like 321 of those were in the 90s so we're talking right. like 80% of your home run totals and that's a rough estimate we're in that decade so of course you know or someone like Kenny Lofton Juan Gonzalez Juan Gonzalez yeah, yeah. and that's another thing he had one of the best nicknames Juan gone gone yeah exactly yeah that's somebody he he he, he went to spring training with the Cardinals back in the yeah. mid 2000s and yeah. I was like ah oh, that would have been cool to see him play it did it did have its I mean, ninety. The '90s had some of the best superstars. Oh my god! That gosh. ever came out of like, I mean, I mean, we talked about Juan Gonzalez's nickname. I uh, guess before we go into the King Caminetti was King Caminetti was another was, yeah yeah. I uh, was another time, time capsule. So he won the guy. MVP in 1996, and then right. I mean, he went to the Astros and was a part of that. Dominant Would you even team, say Fred then, McGriff? I, that's was, well, that's tough because Fred McGriff. He had ten years of production. Oh well, yeah, like, well, yeah. He so played in the eighties. More, more yeah. than ten years. We watched the Sluggers of '96 or whatever, and he was on there as a high producer. At that time, he had been in the league for ten years, and for ten for ten years, and then after that, he he produced pretty consistently. Yeah, um, exactly. I, but you know, even then, I mean, he didn't do a whole lot in the two thousands. So I guess Fred McGriff or like Mo Vaughn. Mo Vaughn is a '90s player. Yeah. Um, um, Big Mac. Mark McGuire's a 90s I'd say, player. Yeah. And even though he started, what, in 80, 86? but 80, his yeah. rookie year is considered 87. Yeah. When he hit 49 home runs. But he, the, and he was an integral part of the those World yeah. Series but teams. He became well. Big Mac. He was in Big the Mac 90s. in the 90s, especially, yeah. I mean, for Oakland, but then when he went to St. Louis. Yeah. And Jay Buhner and Matt Williams are the same. Yeah. Right? What, the, what the hell are you doing trading Jay Buhner for? What the hell are you doing trading Jay Buhner for? Um, before we go into the superstars, mm-hmm. I happen to pull up some of the best nicknames yeah. of the 90s for baseball players. So you had the Rocket. Yeah. Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. Uh, the Kid. King Griffey King Jr. King Griffey Jr. Which, if, if you're listening and you don't hear us mention King Griffey Jr., just wait because we're, we're going to have a whole section at like, the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wild Thing, Mitch Williams. Yeah. Uh, which I thought his nickname was Mad Dog. I thought it was Mad Dog because I had a baseball card that said Mad Dog yeah. Mitch Williams on the back. Uh, Big Mac, Mark, Mark McGuire, Lenny Nails Dykstra. Mm-hmm. The guy's a nut, that guy's a nutcase. Uh, the big unit, Randy Johnson. Which your name is? I mean, I I'm a Randy Johnson fan, but your name is Randy Johnson, and your nickname is the Big Unit. Like these, that guy's lucky. He's intimidating. There's yeah. no way that that wasn't given to him with like not being like tongue in cheek. Yeah, uh, Larry Jones. Larry Jones. Um, oh, I guess other pe- people know him by Chipper. Chipper. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost said Carpenter. Larry Jones. Yeah. And then there are other ones, but like Ozzy Smith. But I like I see Ozzy Smith more as like an '80s player. 
Oh, he's like for he, sure. He an produced 80s in the '90s, but he retired in '96. So. Exactly. Like he, I mean, he, he's he's an eight. He was a part of those '80s Cardinals teams. Yeah. Um. So, like I said before, the '90s, the superstars were like, like right now, I'm wearing a Frank Thomas jersey. Frank, I don't like Frank Thomas. The big hurt. There the, it is. The big the, hurt. The big That's hurt. a great nickname. The big cat. Andre Scalaraga. Yeah. yeah. Big Daddy, Cecil Fielder. El Duque. El Duque. Orlando Owen Hernandez. Um, Frank Thomas, if you look at this guy, there's no way he isn't going to be a home this run This guy's hitter. 6'5", 260, steps in the batter's box, just is a lumbering monster. His swing is like a big haymaker. He lo- it almost swing. looks like he's like, he's like, I always, his swing always looked like to me like he was swinging himself out of the batter's he's, box. It's like very he was, jerky. Like he was almost... Out swinging himself, mm-hmm. but he would launch the ball. And this mm-hmm. dude was this. Um, his, I love. I love Frank Thomas. He's he, my second favorite player of the '90s for yeah. sure. And he actually played baseball with Bo Jackson at Auburn. Can you can you imagine being an opposing pitcher? And Auburn's bus pulls up, and you see Bo Jackson and Frank Thomas walk off the bus. It's like, it's like, uh, coach, my tummy hurts. It's like, well, I got coach. Oh, dang, I got some homework to do. And, <laughs> yeah, you like, know, I got to feed the dog, and dinner I get bells ring as he's walking off the field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, it's just Frank Thomas. Because what was great about him is one of the things that I noticed even when I was a kid is someone like Mark McGuire could hit seventy home runs in a season, but yeah. batted like two sixty five. Yeah. So I was like, I could see the correlation between the power hitters and low batting average. Mm-hmm. Frank Thomas could hit three hundred. Yeah. Like he Frank Thomas could hit for power, he could hit for average. The only mm-hmm. thing Frank Thomas couldn't do is he just wasn't fast because he's six five, two hundred. He was no pounds. Ricky Henderson on the exactly. base. Exactly. He wasn't Ricky Henderson. He could field too. Yeah. Um so Frank Thomas, a perfect four tool player yeah. in the nineties. Five hundred home run hitter, Hall of Fame. Dreamboat. Dreamboat. Sparkling white smile. Dreamboat Frank Thomas. Plus, he looked damn good in those Chicago White Sox uniforms. Man, those were, oh, like the, just the black and white. Yeah, whenever he would, color, like, I, I'm i big on aesthetic mm-hmm. and how, how it, like, a lot of things look cool to me. And the White Sox had, a, like, have their black and, like, black base. And mm-hmm. then they've got the white logo. Mm-hmm. And you just see Frank Thomas stepping in. And like a September game with black sleeves on. Oh. I mean, it's just, it's so with the white pants, it's with the black it's bat. Scary. It's like, it's, it's scary. It's so nineties. And I love just watching him crank it just mm-hmm. out of the ballpark. He just cranked the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah. And another, th- speaking of cranking the balls out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. one guy, one of the most divisive figures in the history of baseball and one of the, uh, allegedly one of its biggest jerks mm-hmm. And one of, for me, one of the most frustrating cases is Barry Bonds. Exactly. And not because it's like, oh, he's a cheater, da 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 da. Which I'm gonna clear thing. I'm gonna clear something up because you know I use steroids. Yeah. But I know. You know <laughs> but uh, steroids don't make you hit a baseball. Yeah. That's that's the thing I feel like people don't understand. Sure, whatever you can see it as cheating, but when it comes down to it, steroids don't make you hit a baseball. Mm-hmm. That's still that person hitting the baseball. You yeah. still have to be good. Yeah. It just makes you, it just helps you hit it further. Yeah. You know? And Barry Bonds, he played for the Pittsburgh pirates before he went to the giants. Even before he really started taking steroids, he was a 40 home run hitter. He was like, a five tool player. He was going to go into the hall of fame he, anyway. He already had like two MVPs before he started taking yeah. steroids. He had like three. Yeah. Two, three yeah. MVP. He had, he already had credentials. Like yeah. he already could have been a 500, 600 
home run hitter. But that's that allure to this decade. Exactly. The decade of the dinger. Like Is it 98. I mean, he was somebody who I don't know if it's alleged. I think it's straight up. He's one of the he's one of the biggest jerks in baseball yeah. um, by a lot of accounts. But he also was somebody who. His dad was in the league. His dad was an all-star. Mm-hmm. So I could see him trying to get out of that shadow. So part of a complex he might have had. 98, he felt like he was being overlooked because of the Sosas and the Maguires. Mm-hmm. And Griffey hit 58 home runs that year. And, and the Greg s- Jeffries and the, the Todd the, the, Hundleys. Exactly. Just everybody on the Giants team that wasn't Barry Bonds was getting more attention than Barry Bonds. Uh, Barry Bonds wasn't getting the attention he felt he deserved. And, yeah. you know, he did deserve. I mean, 98... He, I think he had like 40, 50 home runs. He just wasn't getting attention, so that's why he turned to steroids. Yeah. He's like, okay, if I need to become this hulking home run hitter hitting 60, 70 home runs, I need to do what I need to do to get the edge. Yeah. Um, so that's why he's so divisive. I mean, he just would have been another asshole in the Hall of Fame. There's tons of them if he didn't take steroids. But he would have been in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a lot. I mean, uh, some more '90s superstars that spring to mind are like Noma Garcia Para, Gary Sheffield, Gary Gary Sheffield. Yeah. No, back to the Time Castle players. Nomar is probably mm-hmm. a Time Castle player, but like that's when you saw the rise of like Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter, those yeah. guys who would go on to those other decades mm-hmm. and have you know legendary careers. Yeah. Um. Same with like a Jeff Bagwell. Yeah, Jeff Bagwell, the the like uh, Piazza. Yeah, that those a lot of this goes along with like teams too, like the yeah. the '90s Cleveland Indians. Again, I, I mentioned earlier with the Jim Abbott story, Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey was another one of those guys with like your Frank Thomases and your King Griffey mm-hmm. Juniors who played clean and they still hit. 550, 600 home exactly. runs. Exactly. I wish Jim Tomey would have played a few yeah. more years. I wanted Jim Tomey to hit 700 home runs. Yeah. After King Griffey Jr., I wanted Jim Tomey to hit 700. Yeah. But, you know, um, sh- you know, I just love seeing pictures of Gary Sheffield and, like, a Marlins jersey yeah. or in a Padres jersey because I knew him growing up as a Dodger. Like, that's right. what I grew up with him, like, having his baseball card as a Dodger. Yeah. But I love seeing, like, him and – you know, just that stance. If you don't know what it looks like, go YouTube Gary Sheffield's stance. It's, it's very unique. Yeah, it's a very – he wags the bat back and forth, but mm-hmm. he's getting that momentum to step into it. He just yeah. would – he would crank the ball. The Some of the most high-profile pitchers came out of the 90s too. Like Pedro Martinez in 99 mm-hmm. was one of, if not the most dominant season – by a pitcher ever. He's I mean he's one of the very few pitchers to win a Cy Young in the NL and in the AL cuz yeah. he won one with the Montreal Expos as well. Pedro was scary. Randy mm-hmm. Johnson, Roger Clemens, Kurt mm-hmm. Schilling. Yeah. Um, the triple threat of Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John yeah. Smoltz, who they helmed the pitching staff for what was considered the team of the 90s. The team of the 90s, which is just it's just mantra alone. The The real team in the 90s were the New York Yankees. Yeah, if you're looking at, like, World Series championship yeah. wins, the Yankees won three World Series in yeah. the 90s. Yeah, now the Braves went to the most World Series. Yeah. I think they went to three-quarters of the World Series in the oh, yeah. 90s, but they lost all of them except the one in 1995. Which was against the Cleveland the Indians. The Cleveland Indians, which I just, I just look at that Braves team, and I see Braves teams before it, then I'm just like, that Braves team should have won. Like the yeah. Braves were vying for Barry yeah. Bonds yep. back before they got Greg Maddox yeah, from while, the Cubs. So while we're on the topic of teams, let's talk about some of the the powerhouse teams. I keep I keep using the term powerhouse. Some of the more notable teams. It's just, 
they have, you, they're stacked. The Braves ways. dominated the 90s. Yeah. The Yankees towards the mid to the end of the 90s mm-hmm. dominated the 90s. The Cleveland Indians yeah. had their fair share of World Series appearances in the 90s. Yeah. The Colorado Rockies, especially in 96. The only thing they were missing was pitching. Yeah, exactly. The the what was the Blake Street Bombers, mm-hmm. which I thought they should have been the Mile High Maulers, but that's hey, I was five years old at the time. Exactly. So no one's I listening mean, to my ideas. God, you look Larry Walker, Dante Ellis Bichette, Burks, Dante Ellis Bichette, Burks, Vinny Castilla, Andres Scalaraga. Monsters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, 1995, Dante Bichette should have won the MVP, the NL MVP. Barry Larkin won. I don't know how the voting went. It could have just been a defensive decision because Barry Larkin was a much better defensive player. Although Barry Larkin is is a legend. He is a legend. He's a yeah. Hall of Famer. Barry yeah. Larkin deserves all of his accolades except the 1995 MVP. Dante <laughs> Bichette, Bichette happens. And it's, Frank Thomas should have won the 92 AL MVP, but Dennis Eckersley won, yeah, exactly. and he's a reliever. And then also... Um, Mo Vaughn, I think I don't think Mo, I think Edgar Martinez should have won the AL MVP in 1995. They just had better numbers. Yeah, like if you look at it, and I'm not just talking home runs. I'm talking RBIs and average but, and hits. But it, you look, it's the most valuable player. Right. Mo Vaughn on the Red Sox was probably their most valuable player, whereas Edgar Martinez was on the Mariners. They had King Griffey Jr., J.P. Right. Alex Rodriguez, and, and, and Randy and Johnson. Looking at that as a whole, it's it's still hard for me to separate players' values because sure. as a kid, I you grew look up at stats. I grew up reading the st- I grew up reading the offensive stats on the baseball card. I don't care. I still don't care about sabermetrics or defensive stuff. I look at the offensive, and that's how I would measure players. But more yeah. like seeing the value. You're yeah. right. Seeing the I mean Barry Larkin was the most valuable player on the Reds and everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Just numbers wise, I think yeah. Dante Bichette should have won the 1995 NL MVP. But uh, on the topic of the Mariners, they had some great teams in the 90s. Oh, my gosh. I mean, again, another team that was just missing pitching. I mean, Randy mm. Randy Johnson can do so much for your rotation. Right, exactly. Uh, but, I mean, offensively, they Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, Alex Rodriguez, uh, Tino Martinez, King Griffey Jr., Jr., Paul Sorrento. Paul Sorrento. Um, Dan Wilson. Yeah, uh, catcher extraordinary. Harold Reynolds, yeah. <laughs> King Griffey Senior. I don't know the name of people who played on him in the '90s, but there were those playoff Mariners '90s teams with the Edgar Martinez and Alex Rodriguez and King Griffey Junior. and Randy Johnson. That just you're missing a few key elements to winning a World Series. Speaking of winning the World Series, the Marlins won the World Series in '97, Which, but they started built. They became a franchise in '93. Um, along with the Rockies, right? So they they started building they started building that franchise, and by '97, they were contenders. They, they won the World Series. They were, and and I I w- I'm somebody who somebody like the Marlins in '97, where if you look at that lineup, it's just the the sum of the parts. Yeah. Like everybody everybody was performing at the right time. Yeah. Because if you look, they they weren't slouches. Their pitching staff. Was Levon Hernandez and Al Leiter, Kevin, Kevin Brown. Brown. Kevin Brown's a pit, is a pitcher, time like, capsule guy. Well, yeah, one of the top pitchers of the '90s. He knocked Greg Maddox off the ERA title 
um, in like 1994. I don't know. In one of those years. He was the anchor of the Padres 98 rotation that went to the World Series. Exactly. But like, and then you see them have players like Gary Sheffield and like um, Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson. After Gary Sheffield, they just had a lot of just solid position. Edgar Renteria. Edgar Renteria. Council. Yeah, Craig Council. You know, all it's just it's one of those things where I'm like, well, maybe there's something I'm missing. But I yeah. looked up their 1997 stuff, and they won like 90 something games. Mm-hmm. But I was like, they just got hot. Yeah. They just got really hot. And I was like, especially beating that Indians team. Yeah. And so sorry, there's been some noise going on yeah. like throughout throughout the podcast. We're dog sitting this week, so that little that little girl's just running around and and throwing things and squeezing toys and whatnot so there's nothing wrong with your recording there's nothing wrong with your speakers just a little little doggy running around just a little puppy dog running around exactly so so but the reason i brought that up was because one of the big storylines was the fact that the next year they basically got rid of all their talent exactly like (laughs) the the they as they a lot of people joke and say they bought their world series but honestly if you 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 get all that talent for a year and then they're all gone by the next year they tried getting mike piazza but then he quickly went to the mets right after playing a week there but like i i would want to too because honestly, like if you look at the Marlins, and we can dip more into the jerseys, yeah. what they had going for them was, was their, their color look. scheme. Yeah, uh, just that their aesthetic. They came exactly. in in the '90s, so exactly. they became synonymous with that decade. That teal Marlin hat with the the crown of the hat was yeah. teal, and the bridge was like a they had it's it like black or gray or oh something. yeah yeah. And their uniforms are gray with like black lettering and teal accents. And yeah. They had a full teal jersey. Yeah, it, so, they just looked cool. Yeah, exactly. It was very, like when the San Jose Sharks came into the NHL. Mm-hmm. A very teal look. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that Marlins team. I just I look at that because I look at who they're sandwiched between and the Yankees. Those Yankees <laughs> teams that they're sandwiched between. Yeah. I'm like, how did I? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Miracles are possible. Miracles are possible. Um, but, yeah, you know, we're talking about teams that were, you know, on the verge of World Series who mm-hmm. had built, you know, potential powerhouses, mm-hmm. and then the strike affected these teams. Mm-hmm. Well, one team in particular is the Montreal Expos yeah. were on fire in 94. The mm-hmm. Expos and the Houston Astros were both, like, just – climbing the charts destroying everybody like the these teams that they had like i mentioned pedro martinez before he was on that expos team they were just they were running rough shot over the national mm-hmm. league and the america they were both in the national league yeah the astros yeah, yeah. but the texas rangers yeah, were the in contention. Ra- yeah so so you had these teams that kind of it sucked that these chances to become champions were pulled out from under them and then after that the expos never recovered yeah, no. Like yeah, the Astros, I mean, not, the Astros, like they they were able to maintain your Bagwells and your Biggios mm-hmm. and your Derek. Bells. They were a playoff team. Moises Alou, yeah. who's on the Expos, went to the Astros. Yeah, they were a playoff team consistently throughout the 2000s, and yeah. they eventually won the World Series in 2017. Yeah, exactly. Not that exact team, but but it just kind of sucks. In the Rangers, were like they were still good because they had Pudge and Rafael Palmeiro and stuff, and mm-hmm. Will Clark and, and stuff Juan like Gonzalez and Juan gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, th- those those were teams that were really affected by that strike we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, um, and that was a, a real that was a bummer, especially for Montreal fans who, yeah. if anybody, now they don't even have a team. Yeah, and and they were it just sucks because they were so excited and they were like, "This is our year," and then the strike happened. Yeah, 
Yeah. But uh, we were talking about aesthetic earlier. Mm-hmm. The 90s was ex- an experimental time for a lot of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Like in, you saw it in comic books with the, you know, some characters were getting uh, makeovers and mm-hmm. stuff. And, and s- certain teams and sports were like experimenting with things. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say Major League Baseball didn't exper- experiment, but you did have teams that kind of tweaked their looks a little bit. Right. Like the Marlins were brand new, so their look was new. It was mm-hmm. very 90s. They yeah. had the teal color scheme. The Mariners still have this, but they have their teal uniforms. Yeah. And then... The, the Rockies came in with purples and blacks. Yeah, exactly. Like the that. Diamondbacks came in in 98. Mm-hmm. The the Tampa Bay Devil Rays came in with like a purple color scheme. The Diamondbacks have a uniform that's just black mm-hmm. with the Diamondback A on mm-hmm. there. And the numbers are green. Yeah. It looks awesome. Yeah. It's uh, really, They also really have cool. a purple jersey. Mm-hmm. And then like vests were really popular. Yeah. Like the... the, the style of like a vest and then an undershirt yeah like some of the mariners coolest jerseys are is they have a white vest with black sleeve or navy sleeves Mm -hmm. and a gray vest with navy sleeves Mm -hmm. and anything on king griffey jr looks cool right but that's a cool looking uniform Mm -hmm. and then uh the angels had a white pinstripe vest with blue sleeves yeah and i don't that was those those were some of the cooler looking uniforms the padres had navy blue with like their their uh, orange and white orange and white lettering the indians had the navy with the really like the really uh established red lettering on there it was just really cool and then not to mention they tried in 1998 they they had i don't know if it's for i think it was a night league wide some teams had like a look into the future jerseys or something like yeah turn ahead the clock or something like that and they were like the vests with the undershirts. Right. And they were like some wonky designs, like very futuristic looking designs. Yeah. I remember the Mariners was like maroon with like a large compass on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And it was like the design was not very well thought out because right. if you tuck that in, you can only see half the jersey. You don't right. see the whole design. So like Jay Buner and Kinkerfee Jr. played that whole game with their jersey untucked, hats mm-hmm. backwards. Right. And no just a vest with nothing on underneath so i mean they had an undershirt right they had an uh, undershirt but like i just thought that i just thought that, right. that was funny <laughs> pirates had some uh, um, the the rockies the rockies the rockies one. and the mariners were the two that really stick out to me yeah the astros did the that Astros sweet? Oh, yeah, the like, Astros jersey. Okay, i thought yeah. you meant like a turn o'clock turn no, turn the clock they, the head i mean around. they might have but like the astros design like the star that they have mm-hmm. with the the two arms of the, the arm and the leg of the star like stretching out into right. nothing right and then they had this sweet like navy jersey so yeah their look was pretty cool and this this part come to think of it would actually be better if we had a video podcast because yeah. then we could give visuals so here's what it looks like you know instead of just saying google this google yeah. this google that this. was really oh cool yeah yeah no that looks cool oh i uh, wish you guys could see it yeah it looks it looks really cool wish you guys could see mm, this cake tastes good wish you guys yeah. could have some some of the best jerseys though that you really only saw one time of the year was when they used to do home run derbies. Yeah. Like the home run derby, they would come up with the actual participants or any of the all-stars. Mm-hmm. They would have like home run derby specific jerseys. Yeah. And anyone who was an all-star that year got like, not, well, 
I'm tr- I'm trying to like find because the home run derby was an event in and of itself, right? And so you watch it and you'd see all these all stars who were sitting and watching it, and even if you weren't participating in the home run derby, you got a sweet jersey. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the coolest ones was the '98 one at Coors Field. Yeah, the American League had just had black with like a mountain scheme on it, mm-hmm. and the National League had green with the mountain scheme on it. And then we were talking about vests and undershirts, the '99 yeah. home run derby yeah. at Fenway Park. That was pretty iconic. Yeah. You had American League had the red with the blue undershirt, and the National League had blue with the red. Um, those are just really cool because that's because I just that was what was cool about the home run derby to me mm-hmm. was that like in the All Star game, everyone wore their team jerseys, but at the home run derby, everyone got like a like a unique jersey, and, and I guess we could talk about the home run derby just in general. Yeah, I mean, because especially at that time, it was fun to watch it because it literally was the best home run hitters in the league. Yeah. Nowadays, you have a lot of guys opting out, which makes sense from like a mechanical standpoint because you could throw off your swing or you do something wrong just trying to hit home runs. And it makes sense too because they have that four minute timer as opposed to back in the day when they just had 10 outs. Yeah. It's just cool because that's also kind of a showcase of some of these 90s-specific players. Right, exactly. Like Henry Rodriguez was in right. the 1996 one. Like Brady Anderson Brady was in the Brady Anderson. Jeremy Burnitz was in the 1999 one. Yeah. He, had, he had a real jerky swing. Like yeah. I didn't like his swing Nomar Garcia Parra was, was in, like, in the, the 99. That would, that would had to have been a gimme because it was in Fenway Park. Yeah. So Nomar was in there. BJ Serhoff yeah. was so, in that one. So literally, if you watch old home run derbies in the contest, it's... It's literally on one side is the five best home run hitters mm-hmm. in the National League, the five best home run hitters in the American League. Like this year, you had Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is a spectacle, but he was like he's like 49th in the league in home runs. Right. So if I'm watching a home run derby, I want to watch someone who's hitting home runs. Yeah. And so that's an and I keep saying it, it's a decade of the dinger. That's right. that's why the home run derbies were so exciting is because mm-hmm. you had these monsters, these home run kings. And you got to see them showcase what made them so exciting. Exactly. Plus, ten outs makes it even more exciting because it's it it makes a a late round rally exciting. Like someone yeah. who hits fifteen home runs in a round, you're like, wow, that's a monstrous performance. Whereas now, that's par for the course. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, that that's what I kind of and like we won't go too much longer in the home run derby, but like that's that's what kind of bugs me is now like the average is like. In the double digits, when the most impressive thing was in '99 when McGuire hit 13 in the first round, yeah. like that was like amazing because like hardly anybody ever hit double digits in the yeah. home run derby because you only had 10 outs, so mm-hmm. you really had to be selective, and yeah. so it made those rallies people would go on really exciting, like when when Ken Griffey Jr. would just start belting them mm-hmm. with it with baseball in the '90s. <sighs> With the actual game being in pop culture, mm-hmm. because we talked about video games, we talked about like the VHSs, VHSs, advertising stuff like that. There were actual movies. Oh yeah, like a huge boom of baseball movies in the '90s. Yeah, exactly. So we're just naming, like, just naming these. We're not ranking them or anything like no, that. No, no, we're just naming the yeah. baseball. I mean, and obviously, when you Google baseball movies in the '90s, the more well-known ones are going to come up first yeah so like the sandlot right which is like required viewing if you're a 90s kid i mean right. anybody now but if you're a kid growing up as a sports fan in the 90s yeah. sandlot yeah uh, so rookie, rookie of, of the, the year, year which is another one that it's like 
It's I'm, quoted a lot. We watched it a lot when we were kids, like a lot, a lot. But the best part is like Daniel Stern as Brigma. Yeah. Like if, that's if, the only like funny part. And if you're, if you're, and we were kind of sticklers about how realistic the baseball looked and stuff. And right. it's, it's supposed to be a silly movie. Yeah. But uh, I think a movie that's just as quotable, really underrated. It's more, it's, a kid's, it's more clever, more clever. It, it's just as funny, if not funnier than rookie of the uh-huh. year. And the baseball looks really yeah. good is little big, League. little big league. We watched just as much as rookie of the yeah. year. And I just little big league to me, it, it's, Again, it's just just a better, pure baseball movie. Yeah, and plus, still a goofy premise. Yeah, it's it's still kid goofy. Be, kid's grandfather is the owner of the Minnesota Twins. His grandfather dies and bequeaths him with the team. Yeah, and then he and becomes then through the coach. a series of events. He becomes the manager. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is, but it's still really funny. Yeah, and very quotable. Exactly, and it's just that's just one as kids where we're like, how it like. How is this not as well known as Rookie of the Year? It's a better movie. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. I still like Rookie of the Year, and I still quote Rookie of the Year. I mean, there's something to love about it. Yeah. But just Little Big League is better when comparing yeah. the two. Um, a League of Their Own was probably the a, best a League of Their Own is, came is out the, in the best. 90s. And and I love Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. I love Angels in the Outfield, but I guess a League of Their Own probably yeah. tops them. And all. we used to watch The Babe all the time. The Babe, the Babe gets slept on. John a lot Goodman too. is Babe Ruth. Yeah, and you know it's that that one is that one's really good. Major like League Two, Babe. Back to the Minors, or no, yeah. no, Major League Two and Back to the and minors. Back to the Minors. So, so Major League Two and then Major League Three, Back yeah. to the Minors. Major League Two is just as funny as the first one. Yeah, it's not yeah. as crass or rowdy, but like right. it's just as funny. And then the Wild Thing reveal. My might be better than the first one. Yeah. Um, the Scout, which is Albert Brooks going into the jungle and finding a pitcher. Am I thinking? I, I don't is know. Is this pitcher's name George? I don't. George. Yes. <laughs> he finds George, George of the jungle, and he and he's like, my name is Mrs. Winterborn. <laughs> uh, so classic Brendan Fraser, and, and he's then, also a caveman. Then, yeah, and then he says, Betty, Betty Nugs. Exactly, because he's a caveman. And then he yells, Wheeze of the Juice, as he, as he swings. And then, uh, and then he goes hunt, hunt, mummy hunting. <laughs> all those are all the Brendan Fraser movies. So thanks for listening to <laughs> Brendan Fraser cast. <laughs> thanks for listening to Fraser cast. Thanks for listening to the Fraser Radio. <laughs> Fraser Cobb, Tommy Lee Jones playing Ty Cobb, which mm-hmm. Ty Cobb was, you know, he was a jerk. Yeah. He was a racist, and he would spike people on purpose. But um, a lot of the events that are portrayed in Cobb mm. are done through a biography by someone written by somebody who hated Ty Cobb. Yeah. So like there are some things that are like sensationalized. Yeah. Probably not super far off, but written through somebody who hated him and a lot of people who loved Ty Cobb and knew Ty Cobb kind of like damned the movie. Yeah. Either way, Ty Cobb still was a jerk. Yeah. And as long as we're going with baseball movies that had, just one name on them, Ed. Ed with Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc played a minor league pitcher, and their star third baseman was Mickey Mantle's pet monkey. Was that Mickey Mantle's pet monkey? I think so. I don't remember that. I think I think detail. it was Jim Caviezel's in it. Jim Caviezel's in it. He's um, like, uh, he's like, what's wrong? He's like, uh, I hear my dad in the past on a radio. Oh yeah, frequency. Frequency. Yeah, and yeah. Also, my dad is God. <laughs> and also, I'm. I need to do this. I'm afraid, God. <laughs> um, that was and Golgotha. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, was, or no, no, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Um, he cried out to God. Welcome back oh, to God. Please, cast, God, everybody. again, do it, God. Oh, oh God, why you do this to me, God? John Travolta John is Tra- Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so Ed, not a good movie. No. It's enjoyable because we love schlock, but like, oh, yeah. it's another baseball movie in the 90s. And then Mr. Baseball. Which, funny enough, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Um, another friend's. Along. Guy, yeah. Um, he actually in the movie, and then there's also Mr. Destiny. But yeah. in Mr. Baseball, he actually plays a lawyer who doesn't even like baseball, but his last name happens to be Baseball. So everyone's like, "It's like call me Mr. Baseball." It's like, "Oh, he's like, I don't even like baseball," and that's like the running gag. Is what is that really what it is? Mm-hmm. I haven't listen. No, I, it's not. Okay, that's not what say, it is. I'll say, listen. I haven't seen this since I was like six years old, and <laughs> I remember being bored to tears because it wasn't because little they're, big. All they're talking about is like litigating. Exactly. It's like, and it wasn't little big league, so I didn't want to watch it. Yeah, and then the defense attorney, or he's a def- no, he, his enemies are like, huh, are the yakuza, huh. are the are the yakuza, they're like, huh, and they're like, huh, huh. That was a real home run after he loses the case. He's like, shut up. They're like, right, Mr. Baseball? He's like, I hate baseball. It's ruined my life. And then he gets pulled over for drunk driving and has to coach a youth hockey team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he stumbles into a library and has yeah. to find the exit. And so, oh, yeah. Page master. Mr. Baseball, Mr. Mighty Duck Baseball Page Master. That's. The greatest baseball movie, not of the 90s, but of all time. Yep. Okay, so anyway, so baseball movies, baseball players, I say, because there's so many players we haven't named that mm-hmm. I just, I have this fear that if somebody, somebody's going to listen and be like, hey, hey, what about well, me? <laughs> it's Jose Rijo <laughs> listening. It's Carlos Paerga. It's like, <laughs> we mentioned you. Yeah, exactly. But like, they're, they're going to be like, they're going to hate us. They'd be like, well, you, you guys are missing so many people. And There's, you're right. You know how many we players are, there were in Major League Baseball yeah, in the 90s? It's like, honestly, it's the same thing with the NBA. Where's Jeff Sweeney? Yeah, it's, it's like, they, I forgot. So many people who were just known for being in that decade. We can't My uncle's name, friend is Mickey Tettleton. We can't name all the Brian Berards in the world. Okay, <laughs> Brian Berard was a purely hockey. 90s NHL hockey player. Yeah. Um, anyway, like we can't just go around naming all the 90s baseball players. Trust me, like... I want him, John Olerud. Okay, there's one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and like Roberto Alomar and Mike Piazza. Robert, how did we not mention Roberto? Okay, now I'm mad. Yeah, okay. Because Roberto Alomar is a superstar. Okay, yeah. Sandy Alomar Jr. He, he's a time capsule yeah, player. Yeah, we said Mo Vaughn. Benito Santiago. Benito Santiago. Eh. Rafael <laughs> Palmero. You know, Rafael yeah. Palmero was pretty... Was, I mean, he took steroids, he but 90s, he was so great. Yeah, he was big in the 90s. I thought you were talking about time capsule players because no, he was great in 2000s. Just in general. Like, I'm, I'm trying to get, like, a catch-all here. Ray like, Langford is a Ray, time capsule Ray Langford, player. Ray Langford, Ron Gant, David it, Justice. It, it, yeah, um, David Marquise Justice. Marquise Grissom. Okay, there. That's all. That's every player that uh, ever played. I can't listen to this episode because no. I'm going to be like, no, stupid. You should have said this. Pr- Eric Karros. <laughs> oh, um, no. Eric Davis. Paul O'Neill. Todd Zeal. Todd, Todd Stottlemyre. Zeal, Robin all the Todds. Ventura. Uh, is that a, that's a <laughs> Ray everybody. Durham. Tim Raines. Tim Raines. No, well, Tim Raines. 80s was yeah. A, well, Tim a, Raines eight, played yeah, a, but a he lot, was stolen base time. king in the 80s. Yeah. No, I mean next to Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson. Yes. 
Yeah, 80s. He was an 80s and 90s superstar. Yep. Anyway, there's, that went on too there's, long. There's too many. There's just there's absolutely too many. And for those of you who are 90s baseball fans out there, we're trying to get some of the general overview stuff of the 90s and how it was impactful. If you want to look up players, there's ample amount of opportunity mm-hmm. and ample amount of resources for you to go look up 90s baseball players. Get off of our case. Please. Okay. So before... Hit the showers. Hit the showers. So we are going to be hitting the showers on this subject pretty soon here. Uh, We are going to dedicate a little bit of time to just King Griffey Jr. But before that, I'm just going to go through and name all the World Series winners. 1990, the Cincinnati Reds. 91 was the Minnesota Minnesota Twins. Twins. 92... Blue Toronto Blue Jays, 93, the Toronto Blue Jays, 94, no World Series. 95, the Atlanta Braves. Finally. The team of the 90s has their championship. 96, the New York Yankees, which is a funny bit, and uh, Seinfeld, one of the later <laughs> seasons, to where George is trying to help Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams with their swing. Yeah. And he's like, we did, just, we did just win a World Series, and George is like, in six games. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Danny yeah. Tartable's a 90s player. Yeah. Um, 97 was the Marlins, 98. 99 was the Yankees. Both the Yankees. Exactly. So, boilerplate stuff out of the way. In case you were wondering, (laughs) those are the World Series champions of the 1990s. And now, to round out the 90s, we can't do it without talking about the guy who epitomized 90s baseball, Ken Griffey Jr. The kid. The The greatest. The greatest five-tool player outside of Willie Mays of all time. Smooth as silk. Mm-hmm. He had swag for days. Mm-hmm. Greatest swing ever in the history of baseball. And, yeah, I know Ted Williams is the splinted splinter. Ken Griffey Jr. had the best swing ever. Yeah, he was he was the face of cool. He was the first guy to publicly be wearing his hat backwards in yeah. so many situations. He had the attitude. Um, he was the face. He was the perfect guy. He was baseball for, in the 90s. For Generation X. Yeah. Like for the Fox generation. Yeah. For the video game generation. He had like four video games. Exactly. It was like, it was either King Griffey Jr. Slugfest or like Major League Baseball introducing, like presented by King Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. Or like King Griffey Jr. winning run or, you know, yeah. those games. He was... The style. I mean, and you can you can definitely argue guys like Ricky Henderson definitely yeah. were cool in the '80s and brought style and yeah. finesse. But Griffey was style. Griffey was finesse. Griffey was cool. And King Griffey Jr. to us, our favorite baseball player of all time. To us, the greatest baseball player of all time. And I wish he didn't get hurt in some of his prime years because he would be the home run king he hit 640 home runs in his career i don't think he ever played a full season that's ever crazy talk granted a full 162 games i don't think anyone's ever played a full season but we're talking like not even put in like 140 plus games cal ripken with the consecutive games oh yeah mickey man or uh Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig. That was 154 games. P- P- Still a lot there, of have, games. there have been P- somebody with the numbers Griffey has. You he would have thought he was injured a lot. Yeah, it, but if you watch his defensive play, you can see why. Especially in the 90s, just mm-hmm. reckless abandon, no holds barred, doing anything to make the play. Some of his greatest plays, he's running into the wall. His highlight, yeah, exactly. His highlight videos. Watching that ball pop off the bat with that smooth left-handed swing. Mm-hmm. It's just the bat just behind him. And, like, he 
keep saying he looked cool. He did. It's just it, so smooth. He was smooth. Just he he would glide around the bases. He was so fast. He like in the field. He would just just his stride in the outfield and his wingspan and just how, how much area he was able to cover and mm-hmm. like hop in the wall and the diving catches and all that stuff. He just. Like I said, he was baseball in the 90s. And plus, it's funny to me that he was the quote-unquote bad guy in Little Big League. That is, that is funny, because in the movie Little Big League, they're playing the the Mariners to clinch a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. And Randy Johnson, which I understand, they bring in to close out the game. And in the movie, Ken Griffey Jr. is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's cranking home runs, and they pull, they pull a, a, a trick on him mm-hmm. on the base path. But it's just so funny that he, this like fresh faced, this kid, he was like a kid in that he looked young and he played, I mean, he played like a little kid out yeah. in this, on the sandlot, just mm-hmm. having fun. And that's why he will forever and always be known as the kid. Yeah. Uh, he came into the league in the early nine, late, late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. took the league by storm, put in his best years in the nineties. He was like a rock star. He was a, yeah, he was. I mean, what Michael Jordan was to the NBA King Griffey Jr. was to the, was MLB, the MLB, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. The crowds that surround that guy whenever he went anywhere, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. He and was the face of baseball. Yep, and then he was the first player to ever get as high of a percentage of voting into the Hall of Fame. First ballot all the way. The only person to ever beat him was Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera got 100%, which, again, Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time, the most clutch pitcher of all time, arguably, I don't know how he got 100% over King Griffey Jr., but I'm biased. I'm also wearing my Griffey jersey right now. Mm-hmm. I have another. I have the 99 All-Star Game Griffey jersey. You have a multiple Griffey jerseys. Mm-hmm. Like, Griffey. I'm wearing Frank Thomas right now, though. Right, but I'm just saying. But, yeah, I know. Griffey is the 90s, and you, you can put some other players up for debate, but if you ask five doctors... Four of them are going to say Griffey. You need to use Crest White toothpaste. Griffey needs to use Crest White. You need to use Crest White toothpaste, just like King Griffey Jr. To which you would say, "You're a doctor, not a dentist," and they'd say, "Go Griffey." <laughs> I, I I didn't have a follow up for that. Griffey is the '90s, and that is where we are going to cap off our talk of baseball in the '90s. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to cap off the show. Tim Salmon. Tim Salmon. Greg Jeffries. Greg Jeffries. I, oh, I mentioned Greg Jeffries. Oh, yeah. Oh, Paul Molitor is one of the... Yeah, is, but well, he, he, he was 80s, but he's one of the biggest reasons that the Blue Jays won the 1993 World yeah. Series because he hit like 400 in that series. I mean, we technically mentioned Kirby Puckett's name. Kind of, yeah. Kirby Puckett was he, was awesome. And then I... Matt Williams. I mentioned Matt Williams. Yeah, but Matt Williams has slept on a lot. When we when we mentioned closers, we said Mariano Rivera, but also Trevor Hoffman, Billy Wagner, Kenny Lofton, Mark Wollers. Yeah. I said we said Kenny Lofton. See, that's the thing. It's just so it's many players, so many people. Raul Mondesi, Raul Mondesi, Tony freaking Gwynn, Tony Gwynn. Who cares? What the, <laughs> just a consistent three hundred, close to four hundred hitter. Tony Gwynn should have won. Than NL MVP in 1995, know. not Dante. I'm gonna throw these away because if I'm looking, because we I have a whole 
smattering of notes. Christ's sake, people, just open up your baseball cards and look at your baseball <laughs> yeah. cards. Exactly. Baseball cards. Get had your a, head out of your ass. Look sh- at your baseball cards. Exactly. Baseball cards had a huge boom in the 90s as well. Yeah. We could go all day in baseball cards because that was our passion, that and hockey cards. Anyway, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for 90s baseball. That's it. No more. No more No more naming no players. No more damn 90s baseball, okay? Everybody stop bothering us about 90s baseball. But if you think of anybody that we didn't name or any moment, mm-hmm. hit us up on the socials. Again, Instagram, we're at the Radcast. Slide in our DMs. Twitter, we're at TRadcast. Facebook, we are just the just Radcast. The Radcast yeah. So go find us on there. Give us a like. Give us a comment. Um, you can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast fixed. Give us a like, a comment, a subscribe. iTunes gives five-star reviews. Again, algorithm thing. Give us some reviews. Push us to the top, baby. Again, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Radcast. I'm Steven. I'm Matt. And remember, don't be rude, be rad. We'll see you next time. This concludes our broadcast day. 